Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. It's been just over a year since the United States officially left Afghanistan, this time last year. We talked with uh, Emily Belts, who told us the story of James, an Afghan who had worked for seven years as a translator for U.S. forces and was essentially left behind, uh, basically to face the Taliban on his own. Well, good news is that this weekend he landed safely in the United States, and I've asked Emily to join me to tell the rest of the story. She is a news reporter for Christian Today, former senior reporter for World Magazine, and previously has uh, reported for the New York Daily News, the Indianapolis Star, and Philanthropy Magazine. She currently resides in New York City, and you can follow her on Twitter at Emily Belts, no I in Emily, right? Drop the I, so it's E-M-L-Y-B-E-L-Z. Emily, good to have you back. Thanks. Great to be with you, Al. So tell me about how did, first of all, how did you get in, how did you become acquainted with James in the first place? Well, um, we were reporting on the evacuation from Afghanistan last year, and um, a friend of mine actually told me that I needed to talk to this army captain who um, used to be the head of international security for Samaritan's Purse. Um, but he also served in Afghanistan. And so his translator, James, um, was stuck in Afghanistan, and he was working really hard to try to get him out. So I I talked to him, and he gave me kind of, I mean, part of telling these stories is having a source like that who's willing to give you the rundown every day of the Mm -hmm. details. So he really gave us the play-by-play of all the drama that was happening with James. And... um when did when did it become clear that James wasn't getting out of there? Well, um, I talked to James uh, the night that the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan. And as I was talking to him, he looked at his phone and he saw, um, you know, that, that iconic photo of the last soldier leaving in the night vision. Yeah. Um, and so he saw that come up on his phone, and he said, I guess I'm not getting out. Oh. Um, so they were trying up until the last minute to get him on a military flight. He met all the qualifications of somebody who we would evacuate. He had recommendations from his commanders, his U.S. commanders. He um, you know, served in combat situations with U.S. forces. So um, he was one of those people who was smack dab in the – um, category of, of people that we were supposed to evacuate who are also most at risk from the Taliban. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that, that had to be a frightening uh, situation to be in. Uh, did, uh, how, how was he able to protect himself and secure himself over this last year? It, it's been really just awful. I mean, um, the number of near-death experiences he's had, I mean, I guess you could look at it on the flip side that um, God has protected his life, too, but um, he has, um, you know, gone through all of these different routes to try to get out of Afghanistan. There were, especially the first few months after the U.S. departed, there were all these private evacuation flights where Um, A lot of veterans were trying to organize flights to get people that the U.S. had left behind. And it was um, 
life-threatening to try to get to those flights. So mm-hmm. there were several instances where James was supposed to be on an evacuation flight, and um, for one reason or another, it, it would fall through. Either the lily pad country decided it wasn't going to take the flight, or um, the Taliban would suddenly shut the flight down, or um, some other bureaucratic thing would come up. But James would have to take these trips that involved going through multiple Taliban checkpoints. Um, There was one time when he was in a safe house and uh, people were killed in the area around him. Mm. Um, So there were just really um, traumatic things that happened throughout the year that he had to live through because we left him behind. And um, I think that the stress of all of that, um, he told me at one point that he was, suicidal. Um, and I think, you know, it's just hard to imagine, um, going through all that and not having any hope that you will actually get out. But I'm glad that the story ended the way it did. Yeah. It, you're also having to deal with this sense of betrayal, I would think too. It's not only that things are going bad, but it's that you had worked for good and had implicit promises of safety and security. And then the agent that could you know, could fulfill those promises, basically left you behind. That's it's not only dangerous right. in terms of his physical well-being, but psychologically he's living under betra- a sense of betrayal, I would think. Um, That's right. Does he have an active faith in Christ? Uh, James is a Muslim, and okay. um, I will say that he's um, been, uh, his commander, Brad Lovin, who's been working on this the last year to try to get him out, um, is a Christian and is not shy about <laughs> okay. talking to Muslims about Christianity. But um, So he, he has been around a lot of Christians. Uh, I've, I'm always curious to know, for somebody like, like James, who was living in Afghanistan uh, and was cooperative with the United States, how, do, how does he view the United States? I mean, what kind of country does he think we are? Yeah, I think that um, there was a real sense of betrayal, like you said, that um, even from, uh, you know, working with Brad Levin, who's a person he really trusts in so many ways, but over the year having all of these instances where they thought they were going to get him out on an evacuation plate and then it would fall through and fall yeah. through and fall through again. I think there was a loss of trust there too. That was difficult. Um, but I think that he's also recognizes um, the bureaucracy of the situation and, and that there's not one person for him to fix the blame on, but you know, his um, brother-in-law and his sister are U.S. citizens, so they. Okay. His brother-in-law was also a translator for the U.S. military, so he um, is with them now. And I think having family in the U.S. Um, hopefully will make that transition better. And I think is part of why he wanted to be here. Um, so his, I don't think his view of the U.S. is um, purely through the lens of being left behind. Hopefully, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, yeah, so his his family has welcomed him since he arrived. Uh, working on stories like this, uh, a lot of times journalists are surprised. Sometimes 
certain assumptions are confirmed. Uh, how has working on this story changed your attitudes one, one way or another? I think for me, just like for any reader who's reading the news, um, it helps me so much to see the situation through one person's eyes. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about all the problems that the State Department had in processing visas and um, evacuating the right people and um, putting a plan together. But until you actually walk through each hour of the day of somebody who was promised that they would be evacuated and then see just the actual bureaucracy of him getting approved and then suddenly denied for no reason and then approved again and then denied it it makes you really go nuts just um imagining yourself in that in that position so i think that um that was really helpful for me to just have be able to be in his shoes um and as one person instead of trying to see it as this big problem that is unsolvable um but but he uh, displayed, I would say, a remarkable amount of resilience. And, um, you know, the times that I would talk to him that he was suicidal, a few days later he would be um, coming up with a new plan for uh, how to get out of the okay. country. So I, I think that, yeah, that was also just encouraging to me as a person to see somebody who had been through so much still have – the tenacity and and the hope that he would get out and yeah. stay alive. Let me t- move there from the the particular to a, a, a big bigger picture here, a, a bird's eye view. U.S. government spent twenty years and one hundred and forty five billion dollars trying to rebuild Afghanistan. This is from the Special Inspector General uh, for Afghanistan Reconstruction Summary. Um, we also spent eight hundred thirty seven billion on fighting. And we lost about 2,500 American troops and 1,200 allies, not to mention, of course, uh, Afghans. Uh, 66,000 Afghan troops were killed. More than 48,000 Afghan civilians have been killed. Those are all big numbers. What would he think if he meditated on those numbers at all? Or what would you think? What do you think about what we spent in terms of dollars and aspirations and and human blood and sweat. What do you think about when you hear yeah. numbers like that? I don't. I don't know that I. Um, I, I haven't covered the war itself um, extensively. I have covered um, the refugee resettlement here and talked to a lot of Afghan refugees. And what they said to me is that um, they. The last 20 years, despite, you know, that there were sporadic suicide bombings and things like that, the last 20 years for them, they see as a golden age of Afghanistan that that will never be repeated. And so I think that um, I don't know how much you can evaluate from, you know, the idea of American blood being spilled there. I have friends who served there because um, that's kind of my age group. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that um, when you hear from Afghans, it was a time when they could they could play music. They can't play music anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there there are things that um, that happened then, and and obviously it wasn't sustainable um, because it's it doesn't 
those freedoms are not there anymore. But um, but at least for a time, I think um, there were some good things that came about there. And you, this next question you may not be able to answer because I don't know how uh, James discusses his own uh, personal uh, religious faith. But as a Muslim, how does he regard the Taliban, who are fellow Muslims? Yeah, I think that he sees them as extremists. Um, I think his his faith is much... um, I guess I I, I don't want to speak for him because I I don't know that I would... um, nuance it the way he does but Mm -hmm. um but he does see them as not representing his faith yeah and i think that he was obviously fought against them for many since he was 18 years old um which is why his life was in danger in afghanistan um and why he had to um conceal that he was working with u.s military every day that he went in to work um in case he was stopped by a Taliban member. Um, so I think that he very clearly sees those values as against his own. Um, but I, I, um, I don't know about his, his personal faith and whether he's um, open to, to other things or um, yeah, I think that he's in a state of shock right now. I mean, just, talking to him the other day i think he wasn't prepared to suddenly be in the u.s because all this has been so up and down wow that i'm sure that there's there's a lot of changes that are going to come to his life over the next year as he starts to settle in um but he's he's doing okay has has he had enough time to make any plans at all i don't think so i mean as far as i know he's he's um trying to, you know, all the things that refugees do when they arrive is um, get their paperwork for working Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, getting a social security number and that. So he's he's kind of busy with all those little things. But his brother-in-law went through all of that before so can help him figure it out. Well, next time you talk to him, give him our best. I mean, we're glad to hear that he's here. And uh, it's an answer yeah. to prayer. So, uh, Emily, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, oh, thank you, Al. Okay. Emily Belts, uh, let me tell you again, this is a great story. You can follow her at Emily Belts. It's E-M-L-Y-B-E-L-Z.